Would you kindly open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19? We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts and uh, what uh, Luke read earlier really bears uh, or has a great deal of bearing on the passage that we're studying today. And what I would like to do is actually read through that portion that we're going to look at and kind of give a little bit of a historic narrative, a little background as to what's involved in this text. And then after we're done with that, I'd like us to move into an understanding of ways that this applies to us even today. One of the beautiful things about the Word of God is it's timeless. And what we read from the time 2,000 years ago to what we see today, there is no difference in the sinful nature of man, in the need that we have for our God, in the desire that we have to live for His honor and glory. And as we read even these older texts, we we find, or I should say texts that are really referring to older events, we find that they are very apropos for us even today. In addition to what I'd like to read, um, I also have some pictures to show you of Boy, this was what, maybe two years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to uh, visit Ephesus. And the events that are unfolding here are taking place in the city of Ephesus. And so there are just a, a few slides that I'd like you to see that will give you a little bit of a mental image of what's going on in the city. Uh, we'll bring up the first slide, but then I'd like to begin reading at verse, nine, or pardon me, verse 21 of chapter 19. And we read this. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Well, now this particular issue of staying in Asia is here in Ephesus. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Well, let me begin by saying this. Whenever the Bible talks about the way in these uh, chapters in Acts, it's a reference essentially to that which was being communicated by Christ. It was an, a focus upon the grace of God as it was seen in the gospel. It was the realization that there were people following a new way. It was a way of abandonment of self to the person of Christ and what he did in dying for their sins, in being buried, and in rising again from the dead. And so when you, you read that phrase, the way, you're talking about an understanding that people would have concerning the gospel of Christ concerning the need for a personal application of the benefits of the gospel, concerning how once a person embraces the gospel and accepts these truths by faith, their lives are changed and they are now involved in doing good works, not for the purpose of gaining God's favor, but doing good works as a result of already having his favor through their identification with the person of Christ. And so we have this introduction of the way at the city of Ephesus. The picture that you see in front of you is, is not, um, it's not a Colosseum per se. It was actually known as the Odeon. It is the place 
that was actually built uh, about the second century A.D. So this particular location was not in existence when the Apostle Paul was in the city of Ephesus. But what happened at this place later is where a lot of the political events occurred that would have an impact upon the church and the, and the way the church would go. It's where the Senate met. And when the political powers were not meeting, it's a place where they put on concerts. And it would be like a, a smaller area that people would come to for some entertainment as well as for the, the workings of the political system. Now we move on. This issue concerning the way has come up in verse 23. And it says in verse 24, For a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. This man, uh, Demetrius, was in all likelihood more than just a silversmith because of what we see him involved in in bringing together the others who were involved in that same occupation. He would probably be looked upon as what you would call a guild leader. He, he would be overseeing the people who were involved in using the silver that they have to make these uh, idols, these images of Diana, which in some of your translations might be indicated as Artemis, uh, essentially the same thing. The, the goddess Diana was a goddess that was uh, the goddess of fertility. It was essentially, in worshipping her, it would have been very, very similar to worshipping nature as such. And in this case, there were images of this goddess that they would bow before and they would pray to and they would worship. And certainly we saw a description of how people would do that from what Isaiah the prophet had written earlier. This picture that you see before you now is merely uh, to give you a little bit of an idea of what the city was like. The, the, the temple to Diana, um, which was, by the way, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had to be an incredible place. It was, it's no longer in existence. Basically, all you see now is a foundation of that temple. But this will give you an idea of what some of the structures were like and, and the, the columns that were used for some of the buildings. If you go on to the next picture, this is a picture that many people would think was the place for the worship of Diana, but it, it really was not. It was, this is called, uh, Celsus. It was the library. This is where they kept the scrolls. And there were literally thousands of scrolls that were kept in this place. And if you were to compare the, the intellectual capabilities of the people in the, F, in, in the city of Ephesus, they would rival almost every other city in the known world. Uh, Alexandria had an incredible library, and a lot of study was done there in Egypt. And a lot of the Christian background of what we understand about the Scriptures today actually came out of Egypt. And there were Egyptian Christians who wrote a lot for, to help our understanding today. In this particular Library, you would have probably found mostly references to the uh, idolatry of the day, to the, the goddess Diana, and, um, and that's what you would find at this place. If you go to the next slide, you find that there are still goddesses showing up there, but they're, they're of a completely different nature. Nobody worships this goddess, but I thought that would be nice. I'm done. Okay. 
Let's move on. Let's bring up the next slide and we'll just stay right there now. All right, as we go down to verse 25, it says, He called together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned people, uh, turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Well, now, now just once again, we'll, we'll pause here. Something incredible was happening when Paul would preach a message about the way when he shared with people that it is the grace of God that brings us to the place where our sins can be forgiven and we can be granted eternal life. It is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ that when we recognize that He died in our place, we put our trust in Him, not in anything we can do, but we trust in Him alone by the power of His death, His shed blood at the cross of Calvary. Therein we find cleansing from sin and we find the the Lord taking upon Himself all that we owe and granting to us His righteousness so that in the sight of God we stand before our Creator as those who are as righteous as He Himself is. And that is how we find ourselves able to come into the very presence of God and able one day to enjoy His presence Literally, forever. Everywhere Paul went, people were impacted by that message. Everywhere he went, lives were changed. Every time he would preach the gospel, there were people who would embrace the truths concerning Christ, and it meant that they would then abandon those things in which they had been previously engaged. Well, now Demetrius recognizes all of this. And what he understands is, as people are being converted and they're moving to the truth of the gospel, our jobs are in jeopardy. The very images that we sell, those are the means by which we support ourselves. And if Paul isn't stopped, if something doesn't come to prevent this man from proclaiming this gospel, we're going to be out of work. We're not going to have any means of of employment and, and of occupation. And so... Demetrius calls together all those who are part of this guild. And then we come down to verse 27. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Well, he's overstating the fact, but he does understand this. There is going to be a real disruption to the worship of Diana if this takes place. Not only their personal involvement financially, but even the worship of this God in whom he has put his trust. And in essence, here is what he's saying. Diana can't take care of herself. That's really what's at at issue here. Do you remember how when the Israelites had been battling the Philistines and Israel brought the Ark of the Covenant into the the camp when they were being defeated at the hands of the Philistines. And then the Israelites cheered, not realizing that their sinful idolatry 
in and of itself with them as, as supposed followers of the true and living God had essentially driven his presence from them. And all they had was this material ark without the presence of God. But in their mind, they thought, well, if we bring this to us, then God is going to fight for us and we're going to beat the Philistines. And you know what happened. The Philistines, and they came into conflict, and the Philistines won and took the ark. And then you remember what happened with that. They took the ark into the temple of Dagon. And they left that ark there. And God manifesting the reality of his person and the power of his being When the people woke up the next day, Dagon had fallen on his face. They put him back up again. Next day, he fell, and this time his head and his arms rolled off, and some of it rolled on to the the, uh, little entryway, so people that worshipped Dagon from that day on would never step on that entryway again. They would step across it because Dagon's head (laughs) was there. Would that tell you something about your God? There is a problem that's there. And the true and the living God will not share His glory with any other so-called God, which there aren't any. But there are those that make their own gods and they worship them. Do you remember what happened with the, uh, the prophets of Baal when they faced that conflict and that contest with Elijah? And Baal was not able to respond because there is no God Baal. He's a figment of imagination. And if there is anything that seems to demonstrate his power, it's a demonic influence that's being worked through him. And when the true and the living God was put face to face with with this Baal and the worshipers of Baal, it was God who responded, bringing fire from heaven and consuming not only the sacrifice that had been placed on the altar, but all the water around it that had been poured on to, to make... The the prophets of Baal and the people understand that there was a true God. And his name was Jehovah. Well, now there's another God. And this God, Diana, is supposedly being worshipped by a large portion of the world. And Demetrius does not want her name coming into disrepute. And so he is calling now for some action. And the action as it unfolds in verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater. What you see on the picture in front of you is the theater in which this event took place. Um, If you go on to the next slide, you'll notice... I don't know how clear it is, but you can see how large the theater is on that hillside. And by the way, you see the hill behind it? This whole archaeological excavation had to dig through that mountaintop that stretched all the way across the city to another mountaintop. And it's like they had to remove a mountain to get to this. There were earthquakes and uh, a variety of different geologic events that took place in this area that literally covered the city of Ephesus. So everything you see now has been the product of years and years of excavation and digging out. When they dug out this theater, they began to understand just how large an event was taking place here. That theater holds 25,000 people. That is huge. 
And even by today's standards, I mean, if you were to go to a football game, uh, we used to go to what's called the big house, not for prison, but for football up in Michigan. And the Michigan Stadium will hold about 110,000 people. If you were to extend this same structure the way the Michigan Stadium is built, it would, it would hold the same amount. So there is this rush of people now into this theater, thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming into the theater. And it says, when they heard this, they were full of wrath. They cried out, uh, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Macedonians, Paul, uh, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. You're going to come across Gaius again in the 20th chapter, but you're also going to see Aristarchus on a number of different occasions. When you get back into Paul's writings to Timothy, Aristarchus peer, appears with him once again. So these were two men who were partners with Paul in the sharing of the gospel. They traveled with them, and the crowds grabbed these two guys. Paul apparently was not available at the moment. And so they grabbed Gaius, they grabbed Aristarchus, and I need to make a correction, because some time ago I mentioned that Paul was taken before the, the crowd in the theater. That happened in um, Caesarea, where he made that, that stand in front of the crowd. And by the way, the, the theater in Caesarea is very similar to this theater. So let me correct that. Paul was not taken into this, but two of his companions were, Gaius and Aristarchus. Now, you've got 25,000 people screaming, great is Diana, and they know that you believe in someone else as the true and the living God. These guys had their lives on the line. Could we go back um, a, a slide? Can we do that? Yeah, there we go. You see the flat area down there? where that uh, overweight fellow is standing. This is where these men were brought. And they were taken before a bloodthirsty, crying crowd. And they stood there ready to give their lives for the Christ. It is a humbling event to go to a place like that and understand what took place there 2,000 years ago. As this crowd begins to cry out, we read further. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, oh boy, this is Paul. He wanted to go in there. He tried to go in there. It says the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, even some of the governmental officials who had come to know Christ as Savior, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Why not? He'd have died there. At least from a human perspective, he would have died there. And so he's prevented from going in. Gaius and, and, and uh, Aristarchus are in there. Demetrius is leading the crowd. But then another person steps up. Some therefore cried one thing. And, oh, uh, by the way, the, verse 32 is an incredible... Um, expose, so to speak, of a mob mentality. I don't know if you've ever been around a mob when things really get cooking and people are ready to, to riot. Half the time they don't even know what they're rioting about. 
They just know that they're, they're in some... In fact, look at this. It says, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. But man, this was exciting. They're screaming and now there's this big mob. And we got a couple people down there whose heads are going to roll in just a moment if we have our way. They, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Here's this new person. And this is going to be very important for us to understand. Alexander is not a follower of the way. He is not a believer in Christ. He is a Jew. Why was he pushed out into the center of this theater? He was pushed out there because in the mind of the Ephesians, Christianity, the way, was an outgrowth of Judaism. It was just one of the segments of the Jews that was being expressed in a little different way to the pagan person. I hope I'm making sense here. But the way pagans looked at at Christianity was, it's just part of being a Jew. Alexander wants to make it very clear. They have nothing to do with us. Don't put us in the same boat with these people who follow Christ. We do not follow Him. And so he is put out to put out, uh, or to, to express this defense. And so you read there verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people. <laughs> but they, but when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they chant and they go on and on and on for two hours. Great is Diana. You Jews, sit down. Those of you who are part of the sect that calls themselves Christians, we're still not done with you. So this mob is really getting worked up. For two hours they're chanting. But then another individual steps forward. Verse 35 And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, now here comes one of their officials, and they recognize him, and he is able to bring the crowd under control. Um, He said, uh, where am I here? 35, thank you. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus or in some translations which fell down from heaven? We don't know for sure what is being referred to there, but in all likelihood it may have been a meteorite that had made its way to earth that they had seen as a sign from Zeus, from the heavens, from the gods who dwell up there. And they're involved in worshiping that as well. Verse 36, Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. 
let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful, in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. See, this was part of the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. You, you didn't get the city worked up. Because if you did, the Romans would think you're in the process of planning a rebellion and an uprising against their authority as the, as the overseers. They, they had these people under their authority. And what the clerk is telling them is this. If, if we don't quiet down, you can pretty well expect a Roman legion to be marching into our city very soon. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Quite an event. Awful lot going on. What brought this about? One thing. The preaching of the cross. When you tell people about Christ... And you tell them what Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. People become upset. And they become very upset for a variety of reasons. The reasons begin this way. Whenever you talk about the person of Jesus Christ, you are going to confront things that other people are either involved in or things that they are The word is escaping me, but things that they look on with favor. When we take this passage and begin to examine it, what what was really nailed here? What did the cross confront? What was the message of the way bringing into view at this place? And what we find is the first thing that it confronted was the dishonest gain. It was the silversmiths who saw that the presence of belief in Christ was going to to hit their business. Do you understand that today the same thing happens? When you talk to people about their industry and the inappropriateness of industries today, certain industries, they become very, very defensive. In fact, they become very angry at you. Um, think about people who are involved in the uh, the alcohol industry. When when they're confronted about all of the sorrow that's brought about by virtue of people's consumption of alcohol in excess to where they become drunk, and, and then the, the excuse is, well, um, we're not responsible for that. We try to tell people to drink responsibly. And, and I, I'm sure there are people who drink responsibly. But I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people who don't. And they're killing a lot of people. And they're beating up a lot of people. And they're, they're, uh, stealing and, and they're living lives of, 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 of no value as far as society is concerned because they're so consumed with this product. You know what? If you start talking against alcohol, you know what happens? You get the industry mad at you. They start getting upset. You talk about, uh, the pornography industry. And you try to intervene and, and try to prevent pornography from spreading. And I want to tell you, you talk about that being an uphill battle. One of the things that I'm concerned about is that people in our congregation are sucked into that and have become hooked on pornography. And if the statistics are accurate, there are people in here 
who have a problem with pornography. And let me tell you, that is a consuming addiction. And it gets to the point where it begins to infect every part of your life, your time, your energy, your outlook, your expectations. All of these things begin to be destroyed by this this industry of pornography. You know what I heard today on the news this morning? NBC has put in a request, or no, back up, it's not a request. They are going to begin airing a new series called The Playboy Mansion on television, and they have made the contracts for those who participate give permission for them to be used nude. Now the question is, are they going to try to challenge the restrictions of the the uh, broadcasting today? Or are they just going to use this for um, when they put it on cable and things like that? I don't know. But, but do you see what's happening? There's this constant downward flow. Uh, when you think about the pharmaceutical industry... They do a lot of good with, with drugs that are very helpful for people who are going through physical problems. But they also produce abortive drugs. And they also produce those things which terminate the lives of babies. Uh, you, you, you find any kind of dishonest gain. Maybe what we could do is maybe bring this a little bit more closely home. People that don't pay their taxes. Boy, don't, don't be preaching about that, Pastor, because... I haven't paid my taxes. or I, No, I'm not saying I haven't. I, I just saw a face go, <laughs> no, no, we've, we've paid our taxes. But have you? Um, we lived around people who wanted all their business done in cash. You know why? There's no paper trail. And so you don't have to claim all of that on your taxes. I mean, you're supposed to. But they don't. Friends, I hope that's not any of you. Because that is sin. And that is wrong. Yesterday online, I love to read the news online, and sometimes I just read the headlines. I didn't read the whole story. But online, it said that, I think it said, and maybe some of you saw this and you can correct me, 40 to 45% of the people in America do not pay taxes. Was that accurate? Some, some others of you saw that? 40 to 45%. You want to get rid of our deficit? Let's go after these people. Man, we could put a lot of people to work going after people that don't pay their taxes and, and, and pay for them. But, well, I'm not supposed to get off on stuff like that, am I? Two things you don't talk about, religion and politics. I'm done. <laughs> well, that's not so much politics as it is honesty. Um, don't, don't confront people about stuff like that because then they get really mad at you. Some of you may be mad at me right now, but that's okay. Because if you're in these things, you're in sin. And I don't make any bones about that. It is wrong to withhold from the government that which they are due and we are under the government's authority, and it's wrong to be involved in industry that creates destructive, detrimental 
issues for mankind. And, and you can think of many others. And I'll tell you what, if you start confronting people, individuals about this, you know the first thing you'll hear? Oh, you self-righteous hypocrites. You goody two-shoes. Don't you hear that? When, when you try to stand up for something that is right, and something that is wholesome, and something that is just, all of a sudden, you become the self-righteous one. Oh, I suppose you don't have any sin. No, I'm loaded with sin. That's why I need a Savior. You're the one that's the hypocrite. You think you're okay. No, you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And that's what I've admitted. And I know I need a Savior. And there's only one, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. He's it. You start talking to these people and you'll you'll hear excuses like this. Oh, why don't you live and let live? Or why don't you meddle in somebody else's business? Or if, if you're involved in, in uh, making your income through this other type of thing, well, you have no compassion because what you're telling me to do is to, to relinquish my job. Do you have that little trust in Christ to believe that He cannot provide for you? This is what happens. This is what happened with these silversmiths and they got the whole crowd stirred up. The gospel, the cross, confronts dishonest gain. As you go on in this passage, you find out that it confronts false religion. And in this case, the false religion was paganism, the worship of Diana, making gods with your own hands. Do you remember the passage that Luke read just a short while ago? Isaiah the prophet writes this defense of the true and the living God. And he writes it this way. He says, Do you understand what people who worship false gods do? They go out into the woods and they hack down a tree. Then they shave the bark off the tree and they realize that the chunk of wood they have is too big for the God they want to make. So they cut that and then they take some of that wood and they cut that up and they slice it and, and, and split it And then they burn it in the fire and they cook their meals and they warm their bodies. And then they take this other part of that wood and they carve out some kind of a design. They put it up on a pedestal. They bow down before it and they say, you are my God. That is not so far-fetched from what happens today. People today still worship gods made with their own hands. They just don't have the form of wood or stones or silver. But we worship gods of our own. And anything that comes between ourselves and the true and the living God is an idol. A God that we make with our own hands. A God that does not hear. A God that does not see. A God that does not speak. There is one true God. And he has shown himself to us through this book. And he opens our eyes to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Another false religion that kind of centered here, or I should say rose here, was Judaism. Truth of the matter is, Judaism today is a false religion. Oh, don't talk about the Jews. not talking about the Jews. I'm talking about the realm of belief that Many of them embrace. Judaism was designed by God to be 
embraced by a people that he set apart for himself, in order to prepare the coming of the Messiah and to be a shadow of the reality of what we find in Christ. And when the Jewish prophets wrote, and when the Jewish kings wrote, and when those who preceded some of those individuals that reigned as kings, and and they inscripturated the passages of God's word that we have, it was designed for the purpose of pointing the Jew to Christ. And when Christ came, they said, we have no king but Caesar. And when they rejected Christ as a people, they received a blindness that will not be taken away until that day that the Lord himself intervenes on their behalf. And for some, that will not come until the tribulation. And then many Jews will trust Christ. In fact, probably a third of all of the Jews will trust Christ, and the other two-thirds will die during that period of time. And then Israel will believe in the true and the living God through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you don't recognize Jesus Christ as God, you do not worship the true and the living God. Because he is seen in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to exclude any of the persons of that trinity is to worship a false god. That goes for some who call themselves Christians. That goes for Islam. That goes for Judaism. See, this is where the problem comes. And it leads us to the final concern, this final confrontation. The cross confronts independent pluralism. It's the only phraseology I knew how to use. But in essence, what it means is this. The cross of Jesus Christ is exclusive. There is no room for compromise. There is no room for twisting truth to somehow make the reality of who Christ is more palatable to people who do not believe in him. There is one way of salvation, and it's found in the person of Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And every time you preach the the cross, you confront everything that is not in alignment with the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. Listen to what the cross does. Let me just read these verses. You can write these down if you wish. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 Speaking of the Jew and the Gentile and what they must do to find forgiveness in life. That he, speaking of Christ, might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That, that battle between a holy God and an unrighteous man put to death in the cross. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. When Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the enmity that existed between man and God was satisfied on the divine part 
by that sacrifice of Christ so that God, who had his back toward sinful man, could turn and now with open arms invite sinful man to be reconciled to him. That was the message that Paul was preaching. Be ye reconciled to God. He has been satisfied through that sacrifice of Christ. Now, will you be satisfied through the sacrifice of Christ and come in faith? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he, was ta- and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And then finally in Genesis, or pardon me, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. And here's where our boast lies. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross of Jesus Christ confronts everything that is not true. It confronts dishonest gain. It confronts false religion. It confronts this independent way of thinking, this personal outlook of how things should be. And you know, wherever people accept the gift of Christ on the cross, their lives change. That's what Paul was preaching, a message of change. And those folks recognized it. The enemies of the cross saw it. Isn't it great that the cross of Christ changes people? If it weren't for the cross, I'd be the one with problems with alcohol and with pornography and with gambling and with being dishonest with my taxes. You say, well, you're a bad guy. Yep. But I have a great Savior. And He can be yours. And He can change your life. And He can forgive you. And He can give you an eternal hope that's found only in Him. A settled assurance of being with the Savior forever. But you need to trust Him personally. You need to rest in that work that was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. And if you've never done that, today would be the day. Would you do it? Right now. Trust Christ. Let's stand. Father, it is truly a privilege 
to gather around your word as a body, primarily of believers, but Lord, we know that there may be some here who have never trusted Christ. Perhaps there are those who have heard the gospel time and time and time again, and maybe today is the first day that it actually made sense. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to open their heart and to put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior. And for those of us who know Christ, give us courage. Give us the courage to confront those things that are evil, that are corrupting, and that ultimately will be the evidence that man by himself is damned. Honor yourself, we pray, through this time in Jesus' name.